Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. Two weeks ago, we were wrapping up our Exodus sermon series as we went through the book of Exodus, and we looked at how our church lines up with the story that was told there. And we had an uh, unplanned interruption when Ben Abbott, one of our church planters we support, uh, called me and said, hey, I can get a really cheap ticket to Ohio. Um, it only cost him four bucks to fly here from Orlando, cost him 25 to go back. He said, uh, do you mind if I come and preach and just give an update on where we are in church? I said, okay. And he said, really? He thought I was going to say no, because we, we plan out sermon series months in advance. And then, um, so we didn't get to wrap up Exodus exactly like I, I would wanted to, but I thought it was worth it. Would you mind if I allow us to wrap up Exodus leading into our Christmas sermon series, God With Us, right now? See, Exodus tells this story, and it really goes along with what we're studying today in Isaiah. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, that's where we're going to be today. Um, but the Exodus story works like this. The people of God were in slavery, and they were crying out to be rescued, and they couldn't rescue themselves. So God had to send a rescuer to them. God sent his rescuer, and he led them out of slavery. They were being called to go worship God, and he leads them out of slavery. And I love this fact that they were led through water. God parted the Red Sea, and they went through the water, leaving their past behind and stepping into a promised future. And it was there in the wilderness, as they were heading to the promised land, that God led them by fire at night and a cloud by day. And he provided exactly what they needed for the moment. He gave them manna from heaven, which was their food, and water from a rock, which they needed water while they were in the wilderness. And in that wilderness moment, before they got to the promised land, they were tempted to go back to their old life of slavery. Because in the wilderness, it's hard. Very difficult. They weren't sure what tomorrow would bring, and they they remembered and they started misremembering and they would say something like this to Moses we need to go back to Egypt because there we had food to eat meat and cucumbers and they were misremembering that they were also beaten and killed in slavery and in the wilderness they were tempted to go back and then they get to the border of the promised land and they send in 12 spies to spy out the land to report back on what is there. And when they went in, they discovered it was the fertile land that God had promised them. Grapes, clusters, six feet tall. Land flowing with milk and honey is how they described it. But they also had a people that already lived there. And these people, they described them as giants. They, they were larger than the Israelites. They had weapons. They had fortified cities. And the 12 spies came back and they said, it is exactly like God said, except there are giants there. We cannot go in. Ten of the spies said, we can't go in. They're too big for us. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, we can trust God and go in. And those 10 spies that said, we, we can't go in, they convinced all of Israel not to trust God. They were scared of what their future held because of the giants in the land. 
and they didn't trust God. That's a dangerous place. This Exodus story is actually um, our story. And what we have to decide as we look at that story is where we fit in that story. It is the story of humanity. We are in sin slavery and we cannot get out. We need God to send someone to rescue us. And so God sends Jesus Christ to rescue us out of sin slavery. He's calling us to worship him. He's calling us to turn away from our sin and to worship God. And Jesus Christ can lead us out of that slavery. And he leads us through water. That's baptism. Where we leave our old life behind and we take a step into the future of what is promised to come. And in the meantime, before we get to that heavenly home, we are in the wilderness. And God promises to lead us, just like he led the Israelites. He led them fire by night and a cloud by day. That was his spirit. And he says, you can be led every day, every night by my Holy Spirit if you'll trust me and be open to his leading. He said, I'll give you exactly what you need for today. And so just like he gave the Israelites manna, food from heaven, bread from heaven, and water from the rock, Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the bread of life. I will quench your thirst if you trust me. I will be your food to eat, and I will satisfy your soul if you trust me. And while we're in the wilderness, while we're not in heaven yet, while we're on the way, it is difficult, and we are tempted to go back to our sin. And we don't know what is beyond tomorrow, and we're scared of the giants that may await us there. And Jesus says, trust me today. I'll give you exactly what you need to make it through today. Where are you in that story? Are you still in sin? Have you not accepted the call of Christ to change your life, to leave the old life behind? Maybe you're in the, in the spot where you've been called, but you haven't gone through the water. You haven't obeyed Jesus to confess that you believe in Jesus and repent of your sin and then be buried into his life, immersed underwater and raised by faith to a new life. Maybe you're in that stage of your life. Maybe there's a lot of people in this room, I believe, that are in the wilderness because we haven't made it to the heavenly home yet. We live in the wilderness. If you've been saved, if you've accepted Christ, if you live with him, you are in the wilderness because heaven has not arrived. And so you're going to be tempted to go back and you're going to be scared at points to go forward. And that's where Isaiah's prophecy which he wrote 3,000 years ago to a people in the wilderness who were living in darkness, who were tempted to go back or scared to go forward. He wrote a prophecy to them that is also to us. It comes out of Isaiah chapter 9, and he says, To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That prophecy to the Israelites that they could trust in the one whom God will send is the same prophecy to us that we can trust the one who God sends to us, the name Jesus Christ. Would you mind if I pray for us and we'll talk some more about Isaiah? God, I thank you for this time today where we get to look at your word and are reminded of the prophecy of your son that changes us, that transforms us, that 
literally transforms our soul and our mind and our heart, the way we think, to look more like Jesus Christ. God, would you allow the words from your scripture to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and we trust in that promise that they will not go out and come back empty, but they will accomplish what you desire. Lord, would you help me to explain this clearly and point us all, our attention and our minds, our hearts and our emotions, to fall in love with God with us, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. The names of Christ are also the reasons to worship him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those qualities of Jesus are reasons why we should worship the God with us. God promises to send his son, Jesus Christ, and he did. And Jesus says, I'll be with you till the end of the age. I'm going to send you my spirit. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And so over the next several weeks, we are going to look at each of those names of Christ leading up to Christmas. Today is Wonderful Counselor. I want to give a little context about where we're drawing this from, though, as we uh, study the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who lived around 700 B.C., and he wrote a prophecy that covered approximately 400 years So he prophesied about things that were going to happen after he was gone as well. The first section of his prophecy is basically, uh, most scholars break it down to chapters 1 through 39. And that covers a, uh, a time frame from about 739 to 701. This is the first part of the prophecy. And Isaiah foretells the destruction that is going to come on Judah. The history of Israel works out like this. King David uh, became the king after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. And his son Solomon, instead of asking for riches or good strong armies, he asked for wisdom, and God gave him riches and a strong army. And his son Solomon united all the tribes of Israel, and they became this great nation state. None was like it. After Solomon died, his sons took over the kingdom, and they did not follow after God, and the kingdom split. Ten tribes went north, and that became Israel. Two tribes went south, and that became Judah, where Jerusalem is, the tribe of David. And Israel rejected God, and the Assyrians came in. They were the world power at the time and destroyed Israel. Assyria uh, was very brutal, and they taught the Babylonians how to do it. It wasn't too much longer after that that the Babylonians came in and destroyed Assyria and and. Judah, the tribe of Judah, the the lower kingdom. And that's the chapters 605 to 5, uh, excuse me, 40 through 55, through the time frame about 605 to 539. This was all predicted by Isaiah before it happened. He was telling the people, this is what's going to happen. Babylon is going to come in, and then the Persians are going to destroy Babylon. And Isaiah, 100 years before it happened, mentions a king by name, Cyrus. And lo and behold, 539, Cyrus the Persian destroyed the kingdom of Babylon, and he let Israel go back and rebuild Jerusalem, which is chapters 56 through 66. Covers a time frame about 539 to 400. 
Isaiah is writing to his people to tell them, here is God's plan. Don't give up hope. It's going to be very difficult. You're going to see destruction and disease and death. And in the midst of that, God still calls you to trust him, to repent, to trust that he is going to arrive and intervene. And there's a lot of silent time in there. And in Isaiah's day and afterwards, there were three groups of Israelites One group of Israelites, they cared about keeping that relationship with God and continuing to trust him. There was another group of Israelites that had the law, and they cared about keeping the law, but they forgot how to trust God while they were doing it, and they were going through the motions. And then the largest group of Israelites, the largest group of those people, they didn't care about trusting God or the law. Doesn't that sound similar to America today? There is a remnant of believers who trust in Jesus Christ, who remain faithful. And there's a remnant of Christians, and they're fading in and out, that go to church, and they go to Sunday school, and they keep all the laws that they think is going to make them holy, but they don't have any relationship with Christ. And isn't the majority of America, they don't care about trusting Jesus or keeping the law? Doesn't that feel like today? And so Isaiah sends a prophecy. Trust in God, because he will send his son. That prophecy is still for us today. So in the midst of chapter 8, Israel goes through gloom and despair and destruction, and Judah knows their day is coming, and we come to chapter 9. Here is how Isaiah, the word of God, comes to Isaiah. Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy, and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think we've established in the wilderness, every time we're tempted to trust in ourselves or tempted to go back to slavery, comes destruction and darkness. Same with the Israelites, same with us. And yet there is a light that shines in the darkness named Jesus Christ. Can we look at what wonderful counselor means and maybe fall in love with Jesus just a little bit more today? Wonderful counselor. Wonderful has this uh, idea. It's a word used often in the Old Testament, but it's most often used to describe the deeds of God, the power of God. I like to transpose that word wonderful with marvelous. It's marvelous or supernatural. The supernatural, marvelous, wonderful deeds of God. It's the same word used in Exodus chapter 3 verse 20. When God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform. After that, 
Pharaoh will let you go. Well, think about those wonder acts of God as he stretched out his hand over Egypt. When Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, Moses threw down his, Aaron threw down his staff, it became a snake. The magicians of Egypt, either they were using magic tricks or they were uh, tapping into a power we're not supposed to, a tool we're not supposed to use, the power of demons, they threw down their staffs and they became snakes too. And God loves making little gods look foolish. Aaron's staff ate all of Pharaoh's snakes. And then Aaron picked up that snake again and became a staff. These miraculous things begin to happen through Moses and Aaron. This is the wonders of God. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let your people go. And so God began the, to establish he has authority over every area Pharaoh said he had authority, authority over. The Nile became blood. And there were gnats that came up out of the Nile and frogs and flies. There were boils that appeared on every Egyptian but not on the Israelites. There was hail and lightning that came from the sky. There were locusts that ate all of the Egyptians' produce, but the Israelites were fine. There were three days of darkness that covered the land of Egypt, but not the land where Israelites were. And just as Pharaoh had decided to wipe out every firstborn male child of Israel, God, the last plague he sent over Egypt was every firstborn child was killed. And that's when Pharaoh let the Israelites go. And they, were, they came to the Red Sea, and the uh, Egyptian army, Pharaoh changed his mind again, were trapped, the Israelites. And God parted the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to go into the wilderness, destroying the Egyptian army. This is the wonderful, marvelous, supernatural power of God. The wonder of God, the power of God, the supernatural power of God, all in one man, Jesus Christ, wonderful counselor. Jesus Christ, both God and man, fully God and fully human. He took on humanity and didn't lose one bit of his divinity. In his humanity, he hid his glory and limited himself so that he become just like us, showing us how to live, showing us how to rely fully on the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus Christ would do miraculous things. He healed the blind, he healed the lame, he set the captives free, all by depending on the Holy Spirit, showing us how it can be done. He is wonderful. The most wonderful thing he did was he died and rose again. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he became sin in our place. All of our sins were nailed to his body as he was nailed to the cross. He became a curse so that we wouldn't have to experience the curse. And then at the resurrection, which is the promise for us, this is what we live for. The resurrection is coming. This is our hope. This is the promised land that is coming. We will have a resurrection. And we are united through his death and resurrection to God. We are united to each other. We have a new family in Brothers and sisters in Christ, our sins are forgiven. We are, uh, are, they've actually been taken away. We've been declared not guilty, but we've actually been indwelt with the Holy Spirit so that we can be holy. And he sends us the Holy Spirit so we can know the difference between right and wrong, and God will write his law on our hearts. And he shows us what is to come. The promise is complete because he rose from the dead and proves that it was all true. 
proves that he was good enough to die and proves that he was good enough to live again. He lives again. God raised him from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Jesus was given authority over death itself to raise himself from the dead. This is the wonderful part in one person, Jesus. Wonderful counselor is how he's described, though. All the supernatural wisdom of God in one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches us not only how to live, but how to think. The book of Isaiah, it repeats time and time again about the folly of depending on our own wisdom. The ignorance of looking to our own selves to rule ourselves and make decisions for ourselves. And Isaiah, through the, the word of God through Isaiah, constantly calls us to trust in God, depend on him, look to him for wisdom. And he says, I will send you the wonderful counselor, and he will give us counsel. We don't just need good counsel. We don't just need wise counsel. We need the supernatural counsel of Jesus Christ. And what he counsels us in seems counterintuitive. I'll give you one counsel of Jesus Christ, Here's the counsel of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to walk away with from the wonderful counselor today. It comes out of John chapter 12. He's describing to his disciples what's going to happen to him and why it's important. And in the midst of that, he gives instructions for us. This is the supernatural, wonderful, marvelous counsel of God to us through Jesus. John chapter 12, 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. We see what's going on here, right? We understand the concept that a grain of wheat, when it goes into the ground, something happens to that grain where it literally dies and changes, and out of that change and death, a shoot of wheat will come up through the ground and produce many heads of wheat. Jesus Christ says, I am a single man limited by time and space in my humanity, and I go to die to produce massive amounts of Holy Spirit-inspired fruit. We following this? Because listen to the next words of Jesus. This is the counsel. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant also will be my father will honor the one who serves me the counsel of Jesus Christ to hate your life doesn't make sense seems counterintuitive the person who loves their life will not lay down their life and serve others because they only care about themselves but the person who hates their life they will lay down their life and serve other people and they will give up their own desires so other people's needs will be met. They will give up their own satisfaction so that the glory of Christ may show through them. The person who loves their life will not serve as Jesus has called us to serve. And so he says, you've got to hate your life if you're going to serve like me. Also, the person who loves their life means they're focused on this world and this world only. 
And Jesus says, if your focus and attention is only in this world, you will love your life too much to follow me. This counsel seems counterintuitive. He says, I want you to think more about the world that is going to come. If you think about it, you start thinking about this. This makes sense. This is wisdom. Eternity is a long time. And your life here is very short especially in comparison to eternity. And so Jesus says, start thinking more about your eternal life and what's going to happen when heaven comes, when the promised land comes. The heavenly promised land, it comes, and heaven is on earth, and you receive the resurrected bodies. That is when you're going to live forever. Are you storing up treasure for heaven? That's what our focus ought to be here. But if you love your life here, you will not store up treasure for heaven. You will store up treasure for yourself here. You will seek out comfort for yourself here. And the person who loves their life will only be concerned about being comfortable here. And this is the wise counsel of God. Jesus says, you must hate your life so that you can focus on the life that is to come. That's the life that you need to live for. And loving your life in this world means you're living for the same things that people in this world are living for. Greed, the accumulation of stuff, and being comfortable. And Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to serve me, and you're going to reject all that, and it's going to appear like you hate your life when you live for me. But remember, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it will not produce fruit. Unless you begin to serve Jesus and only love him, you will not produce fruit via the Holy Spirit. If you are only loving yourself and only loving your life and only living for this world, you will live for this world and your fruit and your produce, all the things you accumulate will die when you die. But if you hate your life and you give your life to Christ, everything you do after that has eternal significance. That's the counsel of Christ. I must confess, uh, and this is hard for me to do, I've been, I've been dealing with, um, been working through <laughs> anger and grief recently. And I realized, studying this scripture and studying this counsel from Christ, I'm living for my own love of myself. Because the anger is built on whether I'm comfortable and if I'm getting my way. And the grief is the things I've lost of this world that I've focused too much on and love on this world. And I haven't been focused on Christ as much. And I haven't laid down my life as much. And I haven't accepted the counsel of Christ as much. And I know some of you have come in here and (laughs) you just spent time with your family and you are angry too. Some of you came in and you have this deep-seated fear There's a doctor's appointment coming, and you're scared. You're getting closer to that heavenly home because you know you don't have as long for this world anymore, and there is a fear there. And Jesus says, the counsel of Jesus is trust him for today. I'll give you exactly what you need for today, and let me worry about tomorrow. If you allow me to worry about tomorrow, and you trust me, That's a way of losing your life and accepting Christ for today. That wonderful counsel of Jesus will allow my grief and anger to evaporate and be covered over with love and will allow your fear to evaporate and be covered over with love and you'll be able and we'll be able to serve Jesus together. 
this counterintuitive counsel of Christ. One preacher says, It's true wisdom which knows that in weakness is strength, in surrender is victory, and that in death is life. If you don't understand this, and if you're not living that way, would you pray, would you make it your daily prayer to be open to the Holy Spirit and to turn for Him? If you're not living this life, and you're dealing with anger and grief and fear, would you make it your prayer? God, help me to know what your counsel is where I can lose my life so that I can gain it. And he promised he will give you life in abundance. To hate our life, which is the wonderful counsel of Jesus, means we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. There was a preacher named John Wimber several years ago. John Wimber started what's known as the Vineyard Churches. And uh, John Wimber came out of a charismatic movement type church. So whereas we sometimes get uncomfortable when people raise their hands in here, he would have people dancing while they're having worship. And it's just another way to worship. It's not wrong or right, it's just another way. But he comes out of a very charismatic movement. And John would believe and did believe that Jesus Christ has called us to heal people just like Jesus healed people. And he believed by the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have the gift of healing to continue. But he didn't want anything fake in his church. And so he came out of the charismatic movement, and there was a lot of that movement that made him very uncomfortable. People would shake and flop and fall down, and he said, I don't think that's really of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that in my church. And so they would, have the, they would pray for the Holy Spirit to indwell them and refill them again and give them another manifestation and clearly show themselves, and people would start shaking a little bit. And he goes, no, no, we don't do that here. He wanted an authentic movement of the Holy Spirit. And he would pray, and he said, God, I believe you still heal through us, and I believe you've given me the gift of healing. And he would teach his church this. And when he planted the Vineyard Church and began to teach that, he said he had this really big struggle happen. There was no miraculous healing in the Vineyard Churches after he planted that church for nine years. And he said, I really struggled because I believe this was the theology I was trained on. I believe Jesus Christ still heals. And there was not a real miraculous healing that took place in his church for nine years. And he said he was tempted to either try to force God to do what he wasn't doing or to give up on God. And then John, who always struggled with his weight, and he kept praying that God would help him take off his weight and help him be disciplined enough to eat right. And he still struggled with his weight, and he had these doubts. And he had a doubt whether I, I, I just give up altogether or try to say, God, you're not doing what you com- said you would do. Like start doubting who God is. And then he got cancer. And he's, he said there was this great depression that came over him. That he was asking God to heal and he believed God could heal and he wasn't getting healed. And then one day he had this big fight with his son. And he got in the car and he was driving away. He had an appointment to go to and he was feeling kind of bad because he knows the change Jesus is supposed to bring in to us means we don't have those big fights with our son. And we don't have those blow-ups with our family because we've been changed. He was driving. 
he began to weep. This is not what he expected. And he asked Jesus, Jesus, help me understand. And he said it was clear as day that he felt the love and grace and forgiveness of Christ come over him. And he realized in all of his doubts and all of his struggles and in the midst of his cancer and in his fighting, Jesus himself was beautiful and was worthy and was good and would continue to give good, wise counsel, would continue to be mighty God and everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, and he could even have peace in the midst of his doubts and his struggles and his cancer and his fight. He could even have peace in Christ. And this song came to him, and he wrote it within three minutes and it was copyrighted in 1980. Some of you probably heard it before. And the song goes like this. Excuse me, I, I'm going to try. Isn't he beautiful? Beautiful. Isn't he? Prince of peace. Son of God. Isn't he? Oh, isn't he, isn't he wonderful, wonderful, isn't he, counselor, almighty God, isn't he, oh, isn't he, and he just sang this song over and over again, because he, he was reminded to give up this life and focuses attention on the wonderful counselor, Christ. And the beauty of love and grace and forgiveness of Christ descended on him where he could really feel it and experience it. And he was reminded that Jesus is beautiful. He was reminded that he's in the wilderness, tempted to give it up and scared of going ahead. And all God tells us to do is trust him today. Would you trust Jesus today? Our time of communion is this time where we get to give ourselves to him. Our guys are going to go get the communion trays and bring them back. And it's that moment where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You must eat my flesh. And we get this bread and we eat it. And we're reminded that he died on the cross. It's where he takes that cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you in my blood and we drink that cup and we're reminded that the blood of Christ flowed off of that cross and spiritually it covers us covers all of our doubts and all of our depression and all of our fear and all of our anger and all of our grief and can give us peace the wonderful counselor can really give us peace and it becomes so beautiful. This communion time is the perfect time to be reminded of how wonderful and beautiful Jesus is. Would you trust him today? Just for today. And allow the peace of Christ to come over you as well. Let's pray. Lord, you are beautiful. God, if, if there is someone in this room that has not felt your grace and your forgiveness or your love, would you allow them to experience that with the full weight of the Holy Spirit behind them? Would you allow them to experience, be open to the Spirit leading them? 
Would you allow the peace of Christ that transcends all understanding to guard their hearts and minds? Would you allow this time of communion to remind us of your death on the cross and the forgiveness that brings us, giving us everything we need? God, would you remind as we eat that bread and drink that cup that you are sending your Holy Spirit to renew us again. Reminding us that the resurrection is coming and that is where our promise is. And if we can just wait patiently, giving up our life here, focusing our attention on what is next, you will give us peace. Help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.